Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate directly to the podcast, any amount, by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I do this podcast from John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War, and I do them all full-time. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. You can also find my website where I have hundreds of articles all about Canada's history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And I put up weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. And remember, that's EHX. By the time 1939 rolled around, 72 years had gone by since Canada had become a country. Amazingly, despite seven decades passing, it was not until that year that a reigning Canadian monarch set foot in the country. When King George VI and Queen Elizabeth arrived at the shores of Canada, it would be an event unlike any other in Canadian history to that point. While there have been many royal tours since then, it could be argued that this was the most successful royal tour in Canadian history. Canada had a strong history with King George VI going back to when he was the Duke of York. In 1930, he was offered the role of Governor General of Canada, but the British government decided against this as Canada was becoming more autonomous from the United Kingdom, especially as the Statute of Westminster was about to be enacted that would greatly reduce the power of the Governor General in the country. On June 20, 1936, King George V died and was succeeded by King Edward VIII, but just under a year later, Edward abdicated the throne, and this made the Duke of York the new king. There was talk of the couple coming to Canada in the fall of 1938, but that would fall through as the royal couple needed a holiday following the death of the Queen's mother. Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King would write in his diary on May 29, 1938, quote, Personally, I should like to be the one to receive the King and Queen while in office as Prime Minister. End quote. It then came down to Lord Tweedsmere, the Governor General of Canada at the time, to extend an invitation to the royal couple to tour Canada after their planned tour of India in 1938 was cancelled. On September 24, 1938, after meeting with King George VI, Lord Tweedsmere was able to get confirmation that the King and Queen would indeed be touring Canada. At first, the plan was for the King to come to Ottawa and then return home, but the King said he wanted to visit the provincial capitals, and from there, the itinerary just grew. The Calgary Herald would report, quote, The high and unprecedented event of the coming visit to Canada of the King and Queen will give the government a great deal to think about and arrange for the coming months. Among the public at large, it will create the thrill of an expected emotion. Such thing has never happened before. End quote. War was also on the horizon, but that was not going to stop the journey, the itinerary of which was published in newspapers across Canada on January 4, 1939. Originally, the royal couple were going to come to Canada in a battleship, but the Second World War was looming, and that would change that. Queen Elizabeth would say later, quote, We were going in a battleship and had to change to a liner in case the warship was wanted. It was as close as that. End quote. Of course, not everyone was happy about the royal visit, 
especially with Canada in the throes of the Great Depression still. One man was quoted as saying, quote, I am not disloyal, but I don't think the city should pay when our people haven't bread. End quote. In Vancouver, City Councillor Helen of Gutridge would state that the City of Vancouver should not be called upon to bear the costs from the celebrations of the planned visit. She would say, quote, I am not retracting anything. I feel those who will reap a profit from the celebration should bear the cost, not the city. End quote. On May 1, 1939, the Canadian Royal Train would do a round-trip test with six of the Royal Train cars pulled by Locomotive 6028 from Montreal to Brockville, Ontario. On May 9th, another test run was conducted with 12 cars and locomotive CP2850 taking over. The 12 cars would include room for 20 domestic servants for the royal couple, Prime Minister King, Lady Catherine Seymour, the Earl of Eldon, the Earl of Airlie, as well as several journalists. The couple would arrive in Canada on May 17, 1939, and they would spend the next month touring the country by train. The couple would travel in a blue and silver royal train, which made it instantly recognizable to many Canadians who waited along the tracks to see the train go by. In order to cover the historic tour, CBC Radio had a staff of 100 people covering the events on the tour, and on the train with the royal couple were 80 international journalists as well. And then in 1939, the, we had the first royal visit. The king and queen came over, and that was the biggest job that any broadcasting network anywhere in the world had ever done. We had to cover them for a whole month, 30 days, uh, across 3,000 miles going west and another 3,000 miles coming, or nearly 4,000 miles coming back again in two languages. The only thing that went wrong was the very first day, and Frank Willis, God bless him, I had Frank uh, in, the, in, the, in the steeple of a church in Quebec. And we rehearsed the thing the day before, all our switches, and now I take you to Frank Willis in the belfry of such and such a church in Quebec. And everything was great. Our switches all worked. And so anyway, the, t the, the big procession is on in Quebec, and we're switching from point to point. And finally, I say, and now we take you to Frank Willis in the belfry of such and such a church in Quebec. Come in, Frank. And all you can hear is clang, 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 clang. And the great big bells were going. Of course, we'd never thought of that. But the bell ringers hadn't been there the day before. But when they were going by here, they were clanging the poor old Frank. You couldn't hear him. I don't think he ever forgave me for it. <laughs> that was the only thing that went wrong, as far as I know. But we were always afraid the king would break down when he had to make a speech. He had a rather bad impediment in his speech. And so my job was to be close by. And if he did break down, then I had something to go into to sort of cover up while he recovered or whatever they decided to do. So when he was speaking, I always had to be hidden very close to him so I could see exactly what was happening and be able to put in this emergency operation if the king broke down. And I used to love to watch the queen. When the king was uh, speaking easily, she'd be smiling and uh, everything would be fine. And then he'd start to reach for a word, and she'd be trying to say it for him. Just like a boxer's second. You know, when the boxer's in the ring, the second's doing all the fighting outside the ring. The queen was just like that. Oh, boy, I, I just loved her, you know. That was, was marvelous. The tour officially began in Quebec City when the royal couple arrived on the Empress of Australia, escorted by two destroyers and two cruisers. Prime Minister King would go on board the Empress of Australia to meet with the king and queen before the disembarkment onto Canadian soil for the first visit by a reigning monarch. He would write in his diary, quote, The king was standing at the open door of one of the saloons. 
the queen was beside him. His majesty came forward and put out his hand to shake hands, and expressed a word of greeting to the effect that he was glad to see me again. I said, welcome, sire, to your majesty's realm of Canada. The queen came forward and shook hands and spoke of being pleased to be here. I said to her, welcome, ma'am, to Canada. End quote. Prime Minister would say in a speech later, quote, Today, as never before, the throne has become the centre of our national life. End quote. The royal couple, the Prime Minister, and others then drove to the legislative buildings, and King would write, quote, The streets were lined with people who were quite enthusiastic, great crowds. End quote. The Ottawa Journal reported, quote, Roar like mighty thunder greets their majesties as they set foot ashore. End quote. The trumpeters are formed up on the promenade deck, almost immediately above the gangway here, ready to sound out as His Majesty appears. The Prime Minister is chatting with the Right Honorable Ernest Lapointe, just at the foot of the gangway, waiting to accompany their majesties to the royal stand, where they will be receiving presentations of a very distinguished group of legislators and their wives and distinguished personages who are grouped below, formed out in a most artistic way, just winging out from the side of this beautiful, flower-banked stand, the royal stand. I can see no chair down here for the king or the queen, inasmuch as the presentations are relatively few, I believe they will probably stand for it. Trumpeters are sounding out. Everyone is in attendance here. Evidently the king and the queen are just about to come out the side of the ship. Trumpeters very smartly put their trumpets down. The officer is saluting at the side of the vessel. Just where the gangway opens into the body of the ship, the photographers are poised here. The Prime Minister and Mr. LaPointe remove their cocked hats. Here comes the King, down the gangway, followed by the Queen. The King saluting the Prime Minister. His foot is on Canadian soil, and the Royal Tour has begun. There goes the first gun of the salute from Citadel Hill. The royal standard has just broken out from above us here, signifying the king's visit. The king and the queen, the prime minister, followed by the minister of justice, Mr. DePointe, are walking up toward the royal stand here. And from above us, between the mastheads of the Empress of Australia, have broken out many colored flags that have just gone up very colorfully. A total of 35,000 school children would cheer for the king and queen during their visit. And in his speech to the crowd, King would say, quote, May it please your majesty, on behalf of the Canadian people, I respectfully extend to your majesty and to her majesty the queen a royal welcome to your dominion of Canada. End quote. The Prime Minister of Canada is about to speak. May it please your majesty, on behalf of the Canadian people, I respectfully extend to Your Majesty and to Her Majesty the Queen a royal welcome to your Dominion of Canada. We are deeply conscious of the signal honor of being the first of the overseas nations of the Commonwealth to be visited by the reigning sovereign and of having the high privilege of welcoming in person our King and Queen.
we are proud indeed to feel that in the person of your majesty we have among us not the symbol but the living presence of the head of the whole empire Three and a third centuries ago, unknown, unheralded, and unwelcomed, small craft crossed the uncharted seas and sailed up the St. Lawrence to where this morning Your Majesty set foot on Canadian soil. Here, these early adventurers raised the fleur-de-lis of France and planted the cross of Christianity. That day was the birthday of Canada. Since then, these heights have witnessed other scenes, also heroic and historic. This afternoon, Your Majesty will view the plains where one and three quarter centuries ago, the soil of old France and the New World was won for the British crown. The transition gave a firm foundation to the British dominions beyond the seas. Your Majesty will also see the memorial, which in a single epitaph, commemorates the virtues of the gallant leaders of the two great races then in conflict, a symbol of the highest chivalry, but even more of national unity. Here in 1864, after a preliminary conference at Charlottetown, the Fathers of Confederation drafted the resolutions which were the basis of the British North America Act. By this act, the provinces of Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick were federally united under the crown into one dominion. On July the 1st, 1867, with a constitution similar in principle to that of the United Kingdom, the British colonies thus united became the dominion of Canada. A large luncheon was then held for the royal couple, which was enjoyed by everyone according to King, who wrote, quote, The King was in very good form, laughed a good deal, he had a wholesome, almost boyish way, seeing humor in things. I spoke to him of the main incidents of the history of Quebec, spoke of the Privy Council being assembled at the gathering. He noticed Howard Ferguson in the audience and spoke of him and of the time he was in London. End quote. After more receptions with roads lined with cheering people, a long day came to an end for the royal couple and King. Prime Minister King would write at the end of his diary entry for that day, one of the longest of all of his entries in his diaries, quote, Needless to say, all day I have thoughts of my father and mother and grandparents and Sir Wilfrid and Lady Laurier in my mind, but I'm so tired there were moments when I seemed to almost be forgetful of their existence. Have thought too of King George V a good deal, but can say that I am very tired. However, Providence had been kind in giving me strength through the day, and I have reasons to rejoice that all has gone well. End quote. The couple would make two trips across Canada, visiting nearly every major city along the way. At every stop on the tour, Prime Minister King was there to welcome them. The next day, it was on to Montreal, where the couple was greeted enthusiastically. King would write at the end of the day, quote, I shall never forget today, however scenes of rejoicing, etc. End quote. While in Montreal, two Boer War veterans of Scottish heritage would ask the Queen, hoping to settle an argument, quote, Are you Scots or are you English? End quote. The Queen responded, quote, Since I've landed in Quebec, I think we can say that I am Canadian. End quote. Queen Elizabeth would write to her daughter, the future Queen Elizabeth II, quote, The French people in Quebec and Ottawa are wonderfully loyal, and in Montreal there must have been two million people, all very enthusiastic and glad to have an excuse to show their feelings. End quote. 
A 21-gun salute greeted the couple when they arrived in Montreal, and the Ottawa Journal reported, quote, A colorful array greeted their majesties as they stepped from the train to a carpeted pathway leading from their private train. The king and queen were greeted by spontaneous cheering and shouting, flag-waving and singing, end quote. During their stops in Quebec, the king and queen gave their speeches in both French and English. The next big stop on the tour was Ottawa, where 200,000 people lined a 10-kilometer route to see the royal couple. The couple would stay in the capital for three days. The Ottawa Journal reported, quote, They cheered loud and lustily for the three minutes the train took to do the remaining 500 yards, and when their majesties alighted, they started cheering all over again, end quote. One woman, upon seeing the queen, screamed, She looks like a little girl. There were several important milestones during the visit of the royal couple as well. King George VI gave royal assent directly to nine bills. A total of 800 people crammed into the Senate chambers to witness this historic event. No royal assent had been granted by the sovereign in person since 1854, so this was a major event. King George VI also became the first Canadian monarch to directly meet with Parliament. He and Queen Elizabeth also dedicated the National War Memorial in Ottawa, and they put down the cornerstone of the new Supreme Court of Canada building that was under construction. The Ottawa Journal wrote, quote, Joined by hundreds of visitors who were coming in a steady stream by railways and highways from near and far, citizens of the capital today waited with restive eagerness for the arrival of their majesties the king and queen. End quote. There were some complaints from civil servants in Ottawa that the vantage points in government buildings to see the royal couple were occupied by high officials, their families and friends, while the civil servants who typically occupied those buildings through long years of service were forced to go elsewhere. Finance Minister Dunning would say that the government knew nothing of this and that each department had authority over its own offices. Today, what is called the Royal Walkabout is customary in Canada and elsewhere. That tradition got its start in 1939 when on May 21st, the royal couple dedicated the National War Memorial and they chose not to immediately go back to their motorcade and instead spent the next half hour mingling with 25,000 First World War veterans. Those veterans were part of a crowd of 100,000 who had come to see the couple. The CBC would report, quote, One of these old veterans is patting the king most affectionately on the shoulder. Her Majesty is chattering with one of the veterans of the Amputations Association. The Queen is speaking to a blind veteran now. The king is shaking hands. End quote. King would write in his diary, quote, The crowd began to narrow in. The king gave instructions to move the mounted escort along, down the street so he could meet a larger number, and caused the crowds to begin to narrow in. This was a moment when I was afraid some of the party might be crushed. End quote. The masked bands are still in attendance. They're milling around out there, hoping to get it. The king and the queen coming out now, talking to more of the veterans. The king smiling and chatting, and laughing, shaking hands, looking very gay indeed, wearing a row of medals on his lapel. Down, 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 down in the front, they're on, coming down, over. Down in front, come on. The veterans here. are crouching down so that the people in behind are able to see. I'm afraid very much that I'm blocking the view of a few of them. The king and the queen are lingering over several of the people there. One of the nursing sisters who crowded out from this side has gone over there and has been chatting with their majesties. The queen looks very charming indeed, very gracious, smiling. Her white hat with white flowers and a veil. And this beautiful oyster white coat of hers. The same length as she's dressed again. The king and the queen are walking. 
walking right toward us now, toward this line of veterans. Not any more than six feet away, the king glancing at his watch. Queen, I don't suppose you can. They're chatting with the people. <laughs> One of these old veterans patting the king most affectionately on the shoulder. He stops again to talk to one of the older ladies. Smiling so graciously, preceded by the Queen and His Excellency the Governor General. Perhaps some of the words that you heard while I paused a few moments ago were those of the King and Queen because they were loud enough to be discernible here. And I do hope you heard them. The Royal Tour then moved on to Toronto on May 22nd, where they attended the King's Plate Horse Race and dedicated Coronation Park. The Rainbow Bridge at Niagara Falls, which was not quite completed, was also dedicated. It was estimated that one million people saw the couple in Toronto as they lined the streets waiting for a glimpse of the king and queen. King George VI would say in a speech, quote, The people of Ontario, the central province of the Dominion, have by their great qualities made a very significant contribution to the material progress of Canada and an equally important one to the formation of its national character. End quote. Prime Minister King would write in his diary, quote, as we approached the city hall, the crowds became all that they could possibly be in those areas. It was a joy as I stood there with the king and queen to recall that my grandfather had been the first mayor of Toronto and had designed its coat of arms. End quote. The couple then began the long journey out to western Canada, a region of the country that had dealt with the worst of the Great Depression. On May 23rd, as the royal tour reached White River, Ontario, George Freethy was made mayor of the community only 40 minutes previously. He was chosen by other members of the committee in charge of the visit to White River to greet the king and queen before he went back to his normal job as a superintendent. He would say of meeting the king and queen, quote, Her smile was so dazzling I forgot everything after that. End quote. At Fort William, the couple would meet with indigenous leaders and were shown a traditional indigenous dance. The Ottawa Journal reported, quote, The royal couple seemed to enjoy the experience thoroughly. End quote. The couple would visit Winnipeg on May 24th, arriving on the king's official birthday. A crowd of 100,000 people greeted the royal couple, and the king requested that the convertible roof on the limousine be opened, despite record rainfall, so as many people as possible could see the couple. Maclean's would write, quote, Those who had heard the spontaneous gasp of amazement and delight when Winnipegers saw this young couple driving along in an open car in the rain will never forget it, neither will Winnipegers. End quote. Her Majesty stood, smiling, accepting the plaudits of this very damp crowd that has been standing here for hours waiting for this appearance. When Her Majesty's accompanied by the royal party walked out onto this dripping scarlet and gold pavilion, they walked on a very damp red carpet that was bordered by great buffalo robes so emblematic of these prairies. Robes that will soften the chill underfoot of this precious prairie rain. Your Majesty. It's been falling under a sky so full it looks... We did not order this rain for today. Days to empty. But whenever it rains in western Canada, we suffer it gladly. And I present to you 100,000 loyal Manitobans who are happy to meet their sovereign 
even in the rain. You have just heard the national anthem played by the band of a famous Canadian regiment, the Princess Patricia's Regiment of Canadian Light Infantry. We shall continue the program with a welcome chorus to be sung by a mass choir of students from the high schools of Winnipeg, accompanied by the Students' Orchestra. While staying at the government house in Winnipeg, King George VI made his longest ever radio broadcast to the British Empire. The table that he sat at to read the address remains at the hotel to this day. Originally, the king had wanted to do the address outdoors before the people of Winnipeg as he did not like speaking in a room by himself. The king would say in his speech, quote, Winnipeg, the city from which I am speaking, was no more than a fort and hamlet upon the open prairie when Queen Victoria began to rule. Today it is a monument to the faith and energy which have created and upheld the worldwide empire of our time. End quote. Prime Minister King would say of the speech, quote, I thought the broadcast was too long and not as feliciously worded as it might have been. End quote. The train then moved on to Brandon, where Prime Minister King would describe the arrival as, quote, Wonderful cheering, a long bridge overhead crowded with people, the hour 11 at night, the finest scene of the entire trip. End quote. Even Queen Elizabeth stated the reception was the biggest thrill of the tour to that point. In Brandon, the population of the city, normally 17,000, swelled to 50,000 as people from around the area came out to see the royal couple. The Regina Leader Post stated, quote, School children, farmers, babies in arms, and grandmothers from near and far swelled the city's population, massed along the station platform and crowding along the railway tracks for a half a mile, end quote. Some people journeys from as far away as 300 kilometers just to get a glimpse of the couple. On May 25th, the royal couple traveled into Saskatchewan, and the first stop was Broadview, where an immense crowd greeted the royal couple. After Broadview, the train stopped so the royal couple could exercise. King would write, quote, They walked down the track, coming back, were met by the suite. The queen set up a foot race and brought them all in, puffing pretty hard. She is full of life and charm, end quote. The train then reached Regina, where it was unfortunately raining. Once again, King George VI asked that the top of the car be taken down. In Regina, two Inuit men had been flown in from the Arctic after traveling 300 kilometers on foot to meet a pontoon plane. The plane would land on Wiscana Lake directly in front of the legislative building, and the royal couple would speak to the two men for a few moments. The Regina leader post would state of the city's efforts to welcome the couple, quote, Regina Street's decorations were unsurpassed by any previous event celebrated in the city's history. Miles of bunting in red, white, and blue, and in the royal colors of purple and gold, together with thousands of flags and colored lights, provided a colorful setting for the celebration of their majesties. End quote. Saskatchewan was the hardest hit by the Depression in Canada, but that didn't stop many from still celebrating. The leader post would go on to state, quote, a poor transient, his clothes ragged and his face dirty, walked proudly on South Railway Street with a large flag in his crumpled hat. A large shiny car moved slowly along Albert Street, its driver obviously in difficulty with the vast array of flags carried on the car front. Information bureaus of the city's outskirts reported one car had passed into the city bearing Hawaii license plates. Another car intended to take in the royal visit in Regina came 600 miles from north of Prince Albert. End quote. After visiting the legislative buildings and visiting with dignitaries, the couple moved on to Moose Jaw. At the station, they found a young boy who was laying on a cot. He had accidentally ingested poison and was not expected to live beyond a few days. He had hoped to see the king and queen before he died. King wrote, quote, We all went to the cot together. 
The little lad first smiled very pleasantly at me, and then later at the king and queen, waved his little flag. It was quite a touching affair. End quote. The day after the stop in Regina and Moose Jaw, the tour was on its way to Calgary. King George VI would ask Prime Minister King what should be expected for crowds or ceremonial military welcome in Calgary. King stated that Calgary was only a small place of little consequence. Upon arrival, the king saw there was actually a guard of honor waiting on the platform, and he realized that he should be in uniform, but it was too late to change. And according to those around the king, he was very angry with Prime Minister King for the rest of the day. This was also the first time that King was disappointed with the reception. He wrote, quote, I was disappointed in the numbers of people on the streets. There were not the crowds I had expected. Many of the seats that had been constructed were empty. End quote. Despite this disappointment, a crowd of 135,000 did come to see the king and queen. The Edmonton Journal reported, quote, From towns, villages, and lonely farmsteads all over southern Alberta, from many parts of Saskatchewan and British Columbia, came farmers, ranchers, miners, and town folk with their wives and children to mingle on the streets with beribboned city veterans, cowboys, shop assistants, office workers, air force men, people of every description, end quote. In Calgary, the king and queen would meet with local indigenous leaders who wore traditional clothing to meet the royal couple. The Indians have taken off their own buffalo robes and running for them, running forward, have placed them in front of the royal car. They're signaling their desire for their majesties to step out. The car door is open. The king and queen have stepped into the circle of Indian chiefs. We'll move forward now to see if we can get a better vantage point. The tom-tom beaters have stopped beating their tom-toms and... Everyone is running forward here, people milling all around me, trying to get a better view of their majesties. The Queen... The Queen is standing just beside the King now. The King dressed in lounge uh, suit. And the Queen in a lovely, very, very... Might be able to hear him because we have a sound effects mic hidden just over the place where the ceremony will take place. So we'll be quiet sometimes and give you a chance to hear for yourself. Three ringing cheers there as their majesties leave the Indians and are moving slowly back toward the Royal Automobile. It's certainly a, a colorful sight there. The Indians forming a semicircle, keeping the main body of the crowd back from the King and Queen. And over the tops of the war bonnets, the war plumes of the Indians, we can see glinting in the lovely sun, in the famous Alberta sunshine, the brass helmets of the Lord Strathcona Horse Mounted Guard. On May 27th, the royal couple were in Banff, where a famous photo of them was taken with Prime Minister King at the Banff Springs Hotel. This provided the royal couple with some time to rest after the long trip across the country. The Regina leader post, Francis Stevens, would state, quote, Right now in this mountain retreat, surrounded by whispering fir trees, looking out on one of the most publicized views on earth, I still hear the cheers of thousands ringing in my ears, end quote. One man would tell Stevens upon seeing the king and queen, quote, They were walking arm in arm. The queen looked happy and carefree, and you almost could say she was skipping along like a girl. When I saw them coming, I stood at attention to let them pass, and both of them said good evening to me. End quote. The king and queen actually left for their walk in the mountains without notifying any of their staff of their intention. 
They would return half an hour later to dine alone together in their suite. The press that were along on the tour also stated they would not follow the royal couple on their walks on the mountains to give them a break from the constant glare of the cameras and people. At one point, one of the Mounties assigned to guard at the hotel began to follow the king and queen on their walk, and the king politely told him that they wished to be alone. On May 29th, the couple reached Vancouver, and they would drive over the newly completed Lionsgate Bridge, and the king and queen would be the first registered guests at the new and luxurious Vancouver Hotel, owned jointly by the Canadian National Railways and Canadian Pacific. The following day, the couple toured smaller communities as well as Victoria. Prime Minister King would write in his diary, quote, The day in Vancouver was one of the finest on the entire tour. Without question, Victoria has left the most pleasing of all impressions. It was a crowning gem. End quote. While in Victoria, the king would make a speech that was broadcast across Canada. He would state, with war looming on the horizon, quote, Someday the people of the world will come to realize that prosperity lies in cooperation and not in conflict. End quote. He would then add, quote, To travel through so grand a country is a privilege to any man, but to travel through it to the accompaniment of such an overwhelming testimony of goodwill from young and old alike is an experience that has, I believe, been granted to too few people. We are deeply grateful for it. We shall never forget it. End quote. Mr. Premier, ladies and gentlemen, the Queen and I, of course, Canada, from east to west, from ocean to ocean, and stand now on the shores of the Pacific. Your kind words, Mr. Premier, have set the seal on the wonderful welcome that has been given to us at every stage of our long western journey. I thank you for them. And here, at Canada's Gateway, I thank all those thousands of Canadians whom we have seen since we landed at Quebec, the loyalty and affection that they have offered so generously to us both. At this point, the royal couple began the trip back to eastern Canada. The couple would have another rest at Jasper before once again moving on east. Upon reaching Edmonton on June 2nd, the population of the city went from 90,000 to 200,000 as people from the outlying areas came to the capital to see the couple. Along Kingsway Avenue in Edmonton, specially constructed grandstands were made so 70,000 people could see the couple pass by. King would write in his diary, quote, Tremendous crowds at and around the station, mounted escort part of the way. We turned to the left along one of the large avenues and there saw, I think, the finest sight in the whole trip thus far. Tiers of seats that had been erected on either side, very wide avenue for a distance of two miles. End quote. With the king and queen staying at the Hotel MacDonald, police had to keep crowds away from the entrances, but that didn't stop one 17-year-old boy from climbing up the building and looking in the window where he saw the king and queen in the lieutenant governor's suite where they were having tea. 
Prime Minister King would write in his recollection, quote, Edmonton better than Calgary. I think one of the great surprises of the trip, end quote. The next day, the couple then made their way to Wainwright at the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, where there was another huge reception. The king and queen would also take a walk around Unity and then visited Saskatoon, where 150,000 people came out to see the couple and hundreds of teenage girls dressed in red, white, and blue and assembled in the image of the Royal Union flag as they sang God Save the Queen. The Saskatoon Star Phoenix would write, quote, Royal weather and a royal crowd greeted Canada's king and queen in Saskatoon. 150,000 persons lost their hearts to the tall, square-shouldered monarch and his unbelievably gracious consort, end quote. For two days before the arrival of the king and queen, crowds had been coming into the city for the event. There were an estimated 30,000 schoolchildren who had also come to the city for the arrival. The Star Phoenix reported, quote, It was a colorful scene which greeted their majesties as they stepped from the train. To the left of the royal couple was the military god of honor furnished with the Saskatoon Light Infantry. Behind them were stands holding more than 800 high school girls wearing red, white, and blue berets and carrying red, white, and blue kerchiefs. To their right was a troop of girl guides and more stands with nearly 1,500 pioneers, visiting officials, committee chairmen, and honored guests. Quote. The couple later arrived in Melville at 10 p.m. and 60,000 people were waiting for them. The community typically had a population of 3,000. With such a huge influx of people into the community, the royal couple decided to stay several hours rather than the original planned 10 minutes. In the crowd were 600 First World War veterans, 10,000 school children, and a 200-piece orchestra. R.J. Carnegie would say of the stop in Melville, quote, Never throughout the tour did I see such an unbridled enthusiasm as then, end quote. The community is actually in the central time zone, but for the royal visit and to keep everything on the same day, the community temporarily switched to the mountain time zone. King would write, quote, We got the surprise of our lives when we reached Melville. There was the largest outdoor massing of children and others that I have seen at any of the stations. I think the king and queen were almost taken off their feet by surprise as they went to the platform, end quote. With its population swelling to 60,000 people, Melville became the largest city in Saskatchewan for a few hours. That's very exciting, very exciting. Marg Redenbach is the curator of the Melville Museum, but in 1939, she was a 13-year-old schoolgirl waiting for her first glimpse of royalty. Very, very special, and I think it was to most people then, because we didn't have a great many famous people visit, visit us, in, especially in Saskatchewan, and uh, other than the trains that brought people through, we didn't see people special people. I do remember going uptown that afternoon and things were already at a fever pitch, you know, with lots of people coming into the cafes and so on. It wasn't bad until I guess around supper time and the restaurant started running out of food. Yorkton pretty well emptied out to come here and uh, so did most of the other communities actually. This was big. I don't think anything this big has ever had happened here be since then. The mayor actually had the time changed temporarily for that night so the beer parlors could stay open an hour longer. They went on a different time. <laughs> and then they said they still thought the beer parlors were open until two or three anyway. <laughs> so that must have been where a lot of the men were. <laughs> I mean, the noise just increased in sound. And then when the king and queen appeared in the front format, was just deafening. It sort of cemented the British Empire a little closer because, you know, the monarch wasn't far away anymore. A monarchy wasn't far away. 
and uh, we were so happy that we were included. <laughs> From June 7th to 12th, the royal couple then visited the United States with Prime Minister King, who was the sole minister in attendance with the King to reinforce that King George's VI visit to the United States was actually a state visit from Canada. King would write in his diary, quote, I told the Queen that I felt somewhat embarrassed about taking in the entire trip with their majesties, that it looked like pushing myself into the fore. Yet I felt that unless some evidence of dominion precedence existed, one of the main purposes of the trip would be gone, End quote. King would write then that the Queen responded, quote, The King and I felt right along that you should come with us, End quote. The royal couple returned to Canada on June 12th, visiting the Maritimes. During a visit to Doketown, New Brunswick, they had tea at a local tea house, and upon finishing their tea, went to the kitchen and surprised the owners. The couple then went to Newfoundland, then not a part of Canada, visiting St. John's where the population grew from 50,000 to 100,000 for the visit. When the couple left the city, residents built a huge bonfire on Signal Hill to say goodbye. The royal couple then visited Prince Edward Island, followed by their last stop on the tour, Halifax, on June 15th. Your Majesties, ladies and gentlemen, Her Majesty the Queen. without saying a word of farewell to you all and thanking you for the wealth of affection that you have offered us throughout these unforgettable weeks. Seeing this great country with all its varied beauty and interest has been a rare delight to me. But what has warmed my heart in a way I cannot express in words is the proof you have given us everywhere that you are glad to see us. And in return, I want particularly to tell the women and children of Canada how glad I am to have seen so many of them. Some, I know, came scores of miles to meet us. And that has touched me deeply. There were many others, I fear, whom distance or illness prevented from coming. And to these, I should like to send a special word of greeting. They have been always in my thoughts. This wonderful tour of ours has given me memories that the passage of time will never dim. To the people of Canada, and to all the kind people in the United States who welcomed us so warmly last week. To one and all on this great friendly continent, I say thank you. God be with you, and God bless you. After a luncheon, the royal couple boarded the RMS Empress of Britain to return to the United Kingdom. Thus ended their 13,481-kilometer journey around Canada. During the tour, it was estimated 8 million Canadians saw the King and Queen. At the time, Canada had a population of 11 million. Maclean's magazine would write, quote, There were tens and hundreds and thousands of people, young and old, who lined streets and waved flags and cheered as the royal procession went by. 
There were tens of thousands running into millions who gained almost a vivid picture of the moving events without stirring from before their own radio loudspeakers. People on lonely farms and in lonely lighthouses, in little red schoolhouses that are almost forgotten on trap lines and in mines listen to the broadcasts. In solitary police posts fringing the Arctic Sea, in Eskimo igloos and the Indian encampments, in hospital beds and houses of detention, people paused in whatever they were doing while a king went by. End quote. Prior to leaving, a royal prerogative was given in which any prisoner in Canada serving a sentence of three months or more for an offence against the criminal code would have their sentences reduced. P. Duff, Chief Justice of Canada and Acting Governor General, would state, quote, It has been the traditional practice of sovereigns to mark celebrations of this great importance by an act of grace or mercy. End quote. The proclamation would extend to at least 4,000 prisoners in federal penitentiaries who had sentences of two years or more. Provincial and county jails, reformatories, and farms would not benefit from the proclamation. The tour also seemed to reinvigorate Prime Minister King, with journalists stating that his health seemed to improve and his spirits rose despite the schedule. Prime Minister King would write after the King and Queen left, stating, quote, The Empress of Britain ran past one end of the harbour, where she towed around and then came back the opposite way to pull out to sea. She was accompanied by British warships and our own destroyers. The Blue Nose and other vessels also in the harbour as a sort of escort. The King and Queen were at the top of the ship and kept waving. No farewell could have been finer. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that look at the 1939 Royal Tour. If you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we're looking at one of the most famous shipwrecks in Canadian history, the Edmund Fitzgerald. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Jeff Dahl. Vobs. Robert Page, Richard D, Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, ThemeTrains.com, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, McLean's, Vancouver Sun, Calgary Herald, Ottawa Journal, Regina Leader Post, and the Winnipeg Tribune. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.